sadly, Roundup can potentiate leaky gut all by itself. Roundup can make people who are not gluten sensitive, sensitive to gluten. And Roundup can actually kill off the bacterial species that actually, if you will, enjoy eating gluten. Hi friends, in this week's Bite Size episode, I'm sharing a short clip from my interview with Dr. Stephen Gundry, which is episode 216. You may want to listen to the full episode after this because it's a really, really interesting episode all about mitochondrial uncoupling and how that can be um, a very easy hack effectively to upgrade your metabolism. Uh, but also as part of that, we discuss the effects of glyphosate on leaky gut and why gluten itself may only be part of the problem because... Um, things like Roundup, for example, are actually causing leaky gut by having an impact on the tight junctions in the gut wall. And so some people, once they've actually fixed their intestinal permeability and solved for that, can go back to eating some gluten-containing foods depending on where they live. Now, this is a much different position for people with celiac disease. What we're looking at here is gluten sensitivity. Um, and it also comes down, as Stephen says, to where you live. Because in countries like Germany, for example, and Mexico, glyphosate or Roundup has actually been banned. But it's still pretty widely used in both the UK and the United States. So I thought I'd share this really interesting discussion between Dr. Gundry and myself. And as I say, if you want to listen to the full episode, it's episode 216. 99.5% of my patients with measurable leaky gut have antibodies to the various forms of gluten, to wheat germ agglutinin, and to non-gluten proteins. What's fascinating to me is that uh, after a year, when people have sealed their gut, uh, all of these people lose their antibodies to gluten. They no longer recognize gluten as, as a foreign protein. Now, does that mean we can reintroduce gluten to those people? I think the answer is, it depends on where you live. Um, for instance, in Indonesia, seitan is, is literally pure wheat gluten, and it's a major portion of the diet. And these people don't, in general, have leaky gut. Tons of my patients with an autoimmune disease that resolves will go, let's say, to Italy or the south of France, and they'll have pasta, and they'll have pizza, and they'll have bread. And they won't flare. They won't get a, you know, an upset stomach. They won't get IBS. They won't, their psoriasis won't come back. Their Hashimoto's markers don't come back. And they, they go, oh, wow, uh, Dr. Gundry scared me. I'm going to come back to the United States, and I'm now going to eat all these things. And within a couple of weeks, coming back and eating our bread, our pizzas, whatever, they flare. And they go, well, what the heck? You know, I thought I was cured. Well, one of the things that we've unfortunately exported is Roundup glyphosate. And almost all of our foods in the United States are tainted with Roundup. All of our wheat, all of our oats, all of our rye, all of our canola is tainted with uh, Roundup. Even a lot of our wines are tainted with Roundup. On the other hand, in the EU, uh, 
certain countries now banned Roundup, and it's much less prevalent. And sadly, Roundup uh, can potentiate leaky gut all by itself. Roundup can make people who are not gluten sensitive sensitive to gluten. And Roundup can actually kill off the bacterial species that actually, if you will, enjoy eating gluten. So it's, it's, you know, it's rendered our defense systems down. So that's a long way of saying is it, it depends. It depends on your microbiome, your defense fortifications. It depends on whether your immune system has been activated to look for gluten and whether it's been, whether you can turn it off. And I think that's why you see such variation in literature. And a lot of times it's, well, where was this study done? That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, let's talk then, because actually on the Mediterranean diet and uh, they eat a lot of the foods that you talk about as uh, enhancing these uncoupling effects. So I was looking in the list. I haven't actually drank in six months, but I used to enjoy red wine. I saw you'd put that on the list as, as, a, as, a, as a positive. Uh, ghost cheese, I have here, like five naturally fibrous foods, turmeric, MCT oil, um, and, uh, and tea and coffee, as you'd already mentioned, actually, alongside turmeric. So all of these things, if we're eating them, I think also dark chocolate was one you heard about, which I yeah, love 90% yeah. dark chocolate. Yeah, so I was, I was pleased to see that. So I think there's quite a few of these, actually, that I'm incorporating alongside fermented foods and things like that. Um, what should, how, how can we enhance this then? Is this also going to simultaneously, presumably, increase our metabolic rate. Yeah, in fact, um, I am a student of history and I've been fascinated with the spice trade of the Middle Ages, among other things. And uh, the spice trade, uh, as most Europeans know, was people would, in the spice trade, 50% uh, of people died in the spice trade uh, trying to bring spices back from the Spice Islands, from India, and uh, died in, in transporting them, particularly in ships. And yet people risk their lives to do that. Now, quite frankly, and people spent exorbitant amounts of money for spices, for black pepper, for cinnamon. Now, the only reason people risk their lives that much, and the only reason people spend that much money is for drugs. And the spice trade was actually the drug trade of the Middle Ages. Now, they weren't drugs like we think, but they were actually very impressive mitochondrial couplers. And one of the things I write about in the book, who would have imagined that of the three gifts of the Magi, for the th three wise men, for the little baby Jesus, two of the three gifts were mitochondrial couplers, frankincense and myrrh. And the third one was gold. That, that, that made sense. But these things were so prized that these two plant compounds, frankincense and myrrh, were the gifts. And you go, well, why in the world would you give some kids some plant gum? And it's because they were known for their health benefits. They didn't know why they were healthy. We know that black pepper is one of the best mitochondrial couplers there is. Cinnamon, uh, cloves. Turns out cloves have the strongest uncoupling effect of any spice. Interesting. 
Mm. It's funny when I when you talk about this because uh, and when we look at longevity and we look at people who've lived the longest, it's quite interesting because I it almost feels like I mean it depends on how long you want to live, right? But uh, you don't have to get everything right because I I look at my father-in-law for example, he's in exceptionally good health. He's very strong. He gardens. Uh, they cook. They grow their own food. They eat a lot of these because my husband's actually half Sri Lankan. They use a lot of spices. Uh, red wine all these things they're obviously their microbes are good because they're out in the garden all the time they're physically active they're strong but then on the other hand he'll also have done you know he's a doctor and and had for many years sort of fallen into what was perceived as medically correct here for a long time which was let's not eat butter let's eat margarine uh, and have syrup for breakfast and things but it's really interesting isn't it because it's almost like it seems like if you can wait enough of this in your favor then maybe you know the 20 percent that you're not doing right is gonna it's not gonna be so bad if you like kind of yeah i mean it, yeah let me give you a, a great example that made the news uh i think a couple of months ago there was a study out of uh, norway looking at uh people with uh, angina with uh, coronary artery disease with chest pain stable angina and they looked at the effect of uh, dairy consumption, butter consumption, and cheese consumption, and look at the fate of their angina, how much angina they got. And the, the splash that made it across the news was that dairy and butter is really bad for angina, that the more dairy you ate, the worse your angina got, the more butter you ate, the worse your angina got. And then there was a little aside. And it said, uh, cheese didn't seem to have that effect. Well, it not only didn't have that effect, if you look at the graph, the more cheese you ate, the less angina you got. And you go, well, what the heck? Why would that possibly be? A couple of reasons. And I, I talk about it in the book. Three of the longest living blue zones are actually goat and sheep cheese eaters. And that doesn't come out in the books. And it's the goat and sheep cheese that are fermented cheeses, and they have MCT oil in them. 30% of all the fat in goat and sheep milk is MCT oil. So these people are uncoupling their mitochondria. And there's some really good research that was just presented at the big microbiome meeting that I presented at Paris last month that certain fermented cheeses, raw cheeses, actually have compounds that actively uncouple your mitochondria. Only in raw cheeses. If you pasteurize the milk, it doesn't happen. Thank you for listening to today's show and for your interest in health optimization for high performance. If you're new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that you can get a free health score and report complete with personalized recommendations on how to optimize your sleep, nutrition, fitness, and resilience in the top link in the show notes below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Links to everything we talked about are also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for more.